PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast. Happy 2023, everyone. This is our second podcast of the year, but part two of the Shad Bab experience, which actually sounds like a show in Las Vegas that I would totally go to. Dr. Shad Bab, our head pediatric editor at EM Board Bombs, also an academic attending at Wake Forest University Baptist Medical Center, Atrium Health, that place, that awesome hospital where I trained at, and Iltafat also happens to work there. Funny enough, Dr. Bab has been amazing on our podcast. He covered RSV with Iltafat a couple weeks ago, and now we're bringing you influenza. Uh, Very relevant this time of year, right? Big surge and viral testing now in the ED. We tackle some of that as well as Tamiflu. We tell you what you need to know for boards, as well as just some good common sense medicine. Remember our Rapid Bombs podcast? For just two to four minutes daily, you get awesome board pearls, just seared into your memory, question answer format, plenty of coaching as well too, where we tell you specifically how the question is going to be asked on the test, as well as reviewing the wrong answer choices. The best part is, is that the EM Rapid Bombs downloads directly to your phone and you get handouts as well. You get the script with the question each episode, so you get to read through the answer choices. So you're not just listening to it and having to rewind all that jazz. And you get to do it while you're doing other things too, which makes it even more applicable to your daily needs and you being a busy person want to live a very enjoyable life, right? So on with the show, let's do it. Part two of our upper respiratory tract infection series. And by series, I mean RSV and influenza. That's pretty much it. Uh, Hey, notice how we're not covering SARS-CoV-2. We're not covering COVID-19. Thank God. Thank goodness. We're back to we're back to the old school ones. You know, it's nice to have some familiar friends there. You know, less controversies or the controversies we welcome. Right? That's right. Which is we're going to get into Tamiflu, no Tamiflu. Those are the debates we welcome. That's right. That's you know, right. We're not talking about vaccines oh. and other stuff. You know, this. It's well, fortunately, this, this was before we politicized medicine as much. So yeah. we didn't politicize yeah. influenza. Yeah. So it, we can just talk about it based on science. There you go. But let's. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some would argue with you on that one. All right. So influenza updates again. Pediatric population. When's it useful to get testing? When's it not useful to get testing? I guess a better way to phrase that is we're dealing with peak influenza season. We're not dealing in a summer month here. We're dealing with the understanding that you have high uh, influenza activity going on in your community. Are you getting uh, testing every time or are you just saying, hey, you, know, you had people you were around who had influenza? You almost certainly have this. I think that... That's correct. And when you see someone who has an influenza-like illness, they have a clear exposure. There's no real role for influenza testing medically. That said, we get lots and lots of testing done around influenza and other things as well that are not for strict medical reasons. So there's some some kind of data keeping, like is influenza in your area? That That's an important part to kind of figure out at some point. That's not true in the middle of it, obviously. And then there's kind of a parental concern and wanting to know that it, can they have a test. 
And those are probably the big drivers really for most influenza testing for me. After that, you, you can diagnose influenza or an influenza-like illness pretty easily without any real Especially testing. when it's so high in your community. Sure. Um, so giving Tamiflu, when to give and when not to give. Sure. Well, the CDC obviously and the AAP both have pretty clear guidelines. Whether you agree with those guidelines or not is yeah. a whole different thing. We're, then, and, and just to be clear, we're not going to be getting into you know, Tamiflu and all the drama associated with it. And is it right to give? Is it we're going to go just based off of, you know, CDC? I think that's the right thing, because that's the practice pattern that you probably want to think about first before you start kind of deciding something different. Right. The CDC makes pretty clear recommendations. Essentially, if you're a high risk patient, if you're severely ill, if you're hospitalized, uh, if you have certain comorbidities, these are the patients you should be treating. Right. Um, those things are pretty clearly spelled out on the CDC or any other kind of web page. It's pretty easy to get to. But the easier way to look at it is essentially if you're less than two or you have some other comorbidity, chronic lung disease, asthma, diabetes, seizures, anything like that, then you should be treating them as a high-risk patient. Or, of course, if the patient has to be admitted to the hospital, that classifies them as severe automatically. Exactly. And if they're being admitted to the hospital, the other key thing and caveat is just more than outside of that 48-hour window, too, 48 That's right. Yeah, you should no matter it. what, even if you're outside the range, say you're three or four days out and the kid's struggling, not doing well, CDC does recommend being aggressive uh, with giving antivirals such as Tamiflu. Yeah, I would suggest it's just the same as when we give antibiotics sometimes to patients who are critically ill before we really know if they're septic. It's the same thing. We need to treat them early and see right. if we can get any mileage out of it. Right. Uh, what's your discussion like uh, with parents in Tamiflu? And here I'm talking about the kid that looks pretty good. You know, they don't have risk factors. They uh, appear very well. Uh, they don't fall in that, you know, less than two and, you know, having reactive airway disease or anything like that. Mm-hmm. My, my discussion centers around, l- like most discussions when you're going to prescribe a medicine or not, it, around the risks and the benefits of that medicine. We see a lot of vomiting with and belly aches. We see diarrhea from time of flu. So there's a lot of downsides. And the upside is that you're going to have a day to slightly more than a day less symptoms. And th- while that seems to me like a clear decision not to use it, that's not true for most <laughs> yeah, parents. That's or, true. Right. So that they have to make a decision. My right. job is to give them that information and let them make that risk assessment themselves, not right. to make it for them. So I give them that information, and then they decide if they'd like to get Tamiflu or, or not. If they do, I give them a prescription. Yeah, done. Now, are you using uh, Zenit? I can't even pronounce this right. Uh, Zeninamir. There's a running joke on EM board bombs, by the way, that you know English was my second language, so I can never. And I was in ESL up until second, third grade, so I can never pronounce these right. Zanamavir, I think that's how it's said. Zanamavir. Yeah. Zanamavir. There's there there's that. There's other options as well. Obviously, there there are some availability issues, as you can imagine. These things are not clearly available in a lot of different sure. locations. So you may want to check on that before you decide to use it. And there are, they're much more restrictive from an age standpoint. You can use an amavir at a much earlier age at seven, but not like Tamiflu all the way down to an infant. Right. Um, and there are, like I said, some other options that start more like around 12. Um, there's no better evidence that uh, for the for using them over Tamiflu. Right. And there's really no difference in the side effect profiles for these yeah. medicines. So. I think ultimately, if they were available, we, we use them and we have prescribed them, sure. but there's no clear upside to using them over Tamiflu. Right. Uh, one of the things I always try to tell parents, especially with inf- you know, newly diagnosed uh, influenza in a child, is yes, I'm worried about their next two days. But I'm more worried about those post-influenza complications as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something I worry about a lot more. 
what are some of the key things that you're looking out for uh, in the timelines that you tell parents? Yeah, I think you're, you're right. Influenza is generally well tolerated by most, most children do very well when they have influenza. Uh, we usually tell them you're going to have two or three days of, you know, feeling pretty crummy, not feeling well, having fevers, and then you'll start to get better. But if that course turns back around and you're having increasing fever again or trouble breathing or the child seems confused or disoriented or dehydrated, then those are all things you should come back for. They, they probably occur something like four to 10 days after the initial onset of the symptoms. And, and we're, we're warning parents that these are the things you should watch for and come back for. Right. And oftentimes those are like post-influenza infection. And right. yeah, boards love asking questions on post-influenza infection and making sure you're covering for staff infection, you know, giving the, you know, the right antibody coverage. And then how often do you see things like myocarditis or anything like that, you know, post-influenza? Not as often, I would imagine, right? That, that's right. Yeah. The bacterial complications like pneumonia or other bacterial infections yeah. are the most common things that we see. To right. see a post-viral kind of flu myocarditis that's also yeah. driven by the same virus or an encephalitis are uncommon. And usually, I don't want to say they're unmissable, but they're difficult to miss in the room. These children are generally very, very sick. They're easy to find. Right, right. Okay. So that's pretty much it for influenza updates. Uh, There's really not much. Uh, We stuck away from some of the drama and didn't get into, you know, the nitty gritty on Tamiflu other than, hey, you know, follow CDC guidelines. And we mentioned some of the key indications to give it. Um, and when to test and why we're testing for Tamiflu. I always tell our residents when they ask me, it, but you told me that that test is useless to me right now, and you were still ordering it. And I'm like, yes, I just wanted you to know why. That's right. <laughs> That's right. There are lots of medical, non-medical reasons that we order testing. Yeah, and, and so going along those lines, doesn't it seem this year that everyone wants to know what type of virus they have. I don't know. I've seen that a lot. You know, I still take care of uh, Pete's patients in one of our ERs. And even, you know, with adults I'm seeing, it's the first time in my life where adults have been like, are you testing me for RSV? It's the first time in my life where I've told adults, hey, you're flu negative, you're COVID negative. And they'll look at me and say, well, what type of virus do I have? I need to know. I think that's right. I'm seeing the same thing in our practice here and in Greensboro as well. They are, parents are want an answer to the name the virus and if it's not on that first subset of smaller things they want the big test yeah that they've already heard about or read about the right. test for everything right and I, I this is the first time I've, I've literally heard people request can you get a respiratory viral panel yeah and I'm like whoa where did this come from <laughs> yeah I wonder if it's yeah I wonder if it's just from that the there's they're on the heels of a pan, global pandemic and now there's a surge of other viruses that's driving that or if it's just a change in how educated the consumer has become. Yeah. And, and maybe an aspect of it too, which is they forget what it was like to have like viruses running around, right? Uh, they definitely, for, we've, all, we've all enjoyed a long break from viral infections, that's for sure. Right? I, I think that's another key aspect of it, which is so kind of re-educating folks. I, I, I even had this with my older patients. I had a conversation recently with the patients in their 70s, and they just looked at me so perplexed when I told them that they probably have another type of viral illness. And they're like, how do you not know what it is? That's and right. it's as if... That's right. Aren't we going to do more work to find out exactly right? what it is? They're like, I tested myself already at home for COVID. I don't have that. I'm like, but there are like hundreds of other things that's, out there that's, that that's you right. could have. That's right. Well, uh, the best answer, of course, is that for cost containment reasons and healthcare, this is a terrible thing to to try to order. But 
when you try to talk to patients about that, it's right. never easy to get that kind yeah. of message across without sounding like you're somehow keeping it from them yeah, because they don't have like the right payer. You're, right. You're so you have to kind of avoid. That's really the strongest reason not to get it. And it's yeah. also the last thing I ever tell a patient. So right. it's right. difficult. It's difficult. Is there any circumstance where a respiratory viral panel is useful in the non-admitted patient? Maybe fever of... of uh, unknown origin so like a prolonged fever a fever of two to three weeks oh, nice. uh, that yeah. will include some viral t broader viral testing that i think could be helpful right because uh, you're you're trying to avoid uh you know a much right. more prolonged search maybe uh, sickle cell patient sure uh, as well you know, i think immunocompromised maybe something like that is right could help out as well well that's pretty much it we promised you that we'd keep it short sweet that's what we do at em board bombs keeping things simple that's how we do it. That's right. If you want a more in-depth podcast, there are plenty of them out there on these topics. But again, uh, we don't complicate things. <laughs> We're not smart enough for that. <laughs> we don't do that. We keep it, we keep it pretty straight here. Uh, thanks, uh, Shad. Appreciate you coming and helping out and talking about these two topics. We know you're seeing a ton of this stuff uh, in the pediatric population right now. We'll get this podcast out pretty quick, and hopefully it'll help those of you out there that are seeing a lot of this on a daily basis. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.